0: Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Synergy and Leadership Podcast. And uh, a little bit of a milestone today, reaching our 10 episodes, so pretty excited about that. And uh, in today's interview I speak with Belinda Perisic, who is the general manager of a law firm called Coulter Roach. And I think I found this interview particularly insightful because Belinda shared some of her uh, experiences about being a very young leader and being able to work through some of the the larger organisations and and take on those leadership roles, right through to where she is now, where she has moved from a HR role into a general manager role, and all the good things that come with that and the added responsibilities. So happy listening, and I think you'll uh, really enjoy this one. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian
1: Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader.
0: Welcome, Belinda, to the Synergy Leadership podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Dylan.
0: Yeah, Thank you for being a part of it. Uh, so that the listeners have a little bit of context, can you uh, give them a little bit of insight into you and uh, Coulter Roach, please?
1: I can. So my name's Belinda. I've been with Colter Roach now for almost two years. We're, a, we're the second largest law firm in Geelong. Um, and I'm the general manager. So I started as the HR manager and moved into the GM role about eight weeks ago. So it's quite new, um, but it's certainly an opportunity for growth and and learning lots of different things at the moment.
0: Okay, great. So I'd like to take you all the way back to your very first Mm -hmm. leadership role. Are you able to give a little bit of context about that?
1: I can. I uh, I worked with Woolworths for a very long time, so I was there for almost 13 years, and that's where I had my first leadership experience, so I think it's same in McDonald's, Coles, Woolworths, a lot of those, a lot of people join as a teenager. It's a great money earner while you're at school and at uni, but the leadership opportunities are often, uh, I suppose, a little bit lost until you get to that point. So I was uh, 20 when I stepped into a 2IC department role, and then 21 when I did my first department manager's position. So running a department then was a team of between 8 and 10 people, at small stores to start off with. That's what we're, that's, um, how that process works. And it's like running your own business. So you learn about profit and loss statements. You learn about the use of electricity for the department. You have to allocate the roster work through any changes with people you've got to balance right down to the last dollar for your roster budgets Um, you need to know your sales for that day the previous year that week the previous year and be able to compare those so it was really challenging but it built my business acumen enormous absolutely enormously from a people leadership perspective in my second appointment as department manager I had three of my previous managers in my team so that was interesting Having a team of six and having 50% of them who I had previously reported to, Mm -hmm. very talented. They knew what they were doing. That probably made my job easier in that sense in terms of the work that we needed to get done from a people leadership. It certainly gave me the opportunity to learn and give people space to do what they do best. I think I still carry that through to today. So if you're an expert in your field, I trust that you're an expert in your field and I don't I don't micromanage i don't get heavily involved but i do draw on you to learn more and more about what you're doing so that was a big learning at such a young age i finished uni and and did that so
0: you you touched on something very interesting there which uh i find is a real challenge with leadership Mm. in in the the financial side Mm. of things so that Mm. that level in that role at that age they gave you the opportunity to really understand the p l and everything else
1: yeah absolutely so i was responsible for Um, The complete rostering for my department, it would be reviewed by the store manager. Um, We did, it's a little while ago, but we did it all with a pencil and an eraser (laughs) on a piece of paper that was all gridded up, so you would map it all out, the number of hours required to match the um, dollars of sales that were planned for that day and that week and that month. It was all very planned, we had access to all that sort of information. Um, and and I would I literally would have to be within a dollar of that budget. So it taught me that really tight processing. and we had some changes um, at one particular store I was at, I remember having to have the conversations with people about changing a roster that they'd been on for some time because we had too many people during the day. and when we did a, we had the analysis done in the hours that we were most busy, and it was obviously between sort of four and six or four and seven were our busiest hours, but most of my people were finished by four. So we had to have those conversations to change those and having those tough conversations, yeah, it certainly teaches you a lot when you're in that position to try and encourage people to get them on board with the change. A lot of the time, I remember using the, that conversation to get someone to share their knowledge with someone who had not long been in the business. So it give them that opportunity to say, you've got a really great opportunity to train this person and make sure that when you come in the next day, things are set up properly. So I want you to share your knowledge. It's really important that you be able to do that. And you can help this person develop too. So most of the time that worked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And what would you say were some of the uh, the mistakes that you made in that first leadership role?
1: Um, Probably exactly that. Having some of those conversations or not knowing how to have them. I don't, when we did, training a lot of it was certificate based training that was not necessarily around the actual leadership component you know it was around how to read a PNL, um, it was around sales it was more those sorts of skills that you were taught it was those conversations and thinking i remember the very first time i ever had to have a disciplinary conversation with one of my employees and i took you know i prepared i had notes and then i couldn't even refer to them into the, in the meeting because I didn't, you know, got into that space and sort of went, oh, I'm not sure what to say. In the end, that worked really well because it was a more human and relaxed conversation and I was able to say, this is where the mistake was, these are the expectations, this is what I can do to help you, do you understand? And it was a, it was a positive, and that, that mistake didn't happen again, so it was a positive conversation. I also remember having a similar conversation with another employee that, that didn't go that well at all. They responded, you know, that's not my fault, I didn't do that, you're wrong. And I, at the time, remember having to say to them, I'm just going to have a break for a moment and I'm going to go and just get some more information. And that's what I did. So then I felt more comfortable going back and having the conversation. But I just needed to go and debrief with my manager at the time to... Help push that along so again really good learning I still do that today yeah. if I get to a situation where I think it's not going where I expected it to go well, that person's not reacting the way that I thought that they would react I'll say I can see this is not going where I thought it would go let's have a break and let's come back and talk about this I don't so sometimes I need that space yeah. so that I can process and consider what I need to do and say so I like to give them that space too.
0: Okay. And do you think there were any really big successes you had in that role?
1: I, I did actually. So um, in my first appointment, I was awarded, um, I got a week's worth of sales in one day and I had to pull on um, extra people from across the store to achieve that. So going into other department managers and saying, I'm really booming today. Can I borrow this person for three hours to do this? and and that's what got me my next promotion. Wow. So that was excellent. It was um it was really great and watching my little department being so busy, but achieving a whole week's worth of sales in one day was huge. Okay. And, and watching them, yeah, everyone was so happy. It was so because we it was such a target at that time. It was so sales driven, but I could see how energised the people were after that. It was a big day. It was a long day. (laughs) Um, Very long day because it was was Christmas Eve, so Uh. a very long day. But um, The feedback that I got from my team after that around how organised they felt that we were, how clear it was, what they needed to do. We were writing on the butcher's paper what breaks people needed to have so that it was all sort of scheduled and it just happened quite smoothly and they were thrilled that it didn't feel... It certainly felt busy, but it didn't feel flustered, yeah. which I think was good.
0: Okay. Mm. And was it during that role that you decided this whole leadership thing mm. was for you?
1: Yeah, I loved it. I did. I uh, enjoyed. I enjoyed that sense of satisfaction watching people achieve together what we'd set out to achieve for that day or that week or that month, and and, and exceed some of those targets at times. So, I knew. I knew I wanted to do that. I actually diverted a little bit when I went into HR. It wasn't a leadership role at the time. Um, my first role was a HR officer's position that was purely focused on um, training and development and recruitment. And it, it to get that foundation for HR, I think that was really that was a really good role. I'd done my degree in psychology. I'd done a certificate for in in HR, business HR, and I thought that's what I wanted to do. It felt like a practical application of psychology without coming, going on to be a psychologist.
0: Okay. You decided to leave. Hmm. Where did you move to?
1: So I got my first HR role with Woolworths. and So I was in that HR officer's role for two and a half years, and we were a team of three supporting about two and a half thousand employees um, throughout Victoria, so a bit of travel. Certainly came out of my shell because I had to do training Mm. in front of a room full of people. And I, before that, had not been overly comfortable with doing those sorts of things. It was just literally thrown in the deep end and that's what we needed to do. It was a busy role. I learned a whole lot about recruitment, um, a whole lot about training. And probably one of the most critical things I learned in there was the importance of sharing knowledge to see other people grow and develop. So... I left that role and moved into um, the not-for-profit sector, so it's a bit different yeah. from profit to not-for-profit. And I moved to a HR consultants role, and I was with Villa Maria for two two years. And I met some really great people there, and it was end-to-end, probably entry-level HR again, training, recruitment, setting up inductions, writing policies, but it was again the people aspect of. The people that we were recruiting were generally not in those roles for the money, they were in it for the people that we were supporting as a business as well. So it was just a different take on the recruitment. You're looking for different qualities in people and I really enjoyed it. That was, yeah, it was eye-opening and challenging at times but it was a very supportive environment. The colleagues that I had then I still, I still touch base with because I still see them as mentors me yeah it was aged care disability services and community services so it's quite a broad sector as yeah. well um, so it taught me a lot about just the community in general which then tracking on to where I am today culture Roach is so community focused it seems to align for me with the value I didn't know I held important to me until I worked in community services so, okay yeah all right interesting
0: so would you say that those couple of roles are really about you finding out where you wanted to be?
1: Where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do, it was probably about then that I decided that I wanted to be a HR manager and ultimately a director of HR. And I thought, I'd always thought that I wanted to work in professional services. It just felt like that sort of bubble, that vision in my mind of what I thought I would like to do. So I left there, I actually had a short stint in education as a HR team leader. And that was interesting. So partly government supported, so very um, structured in terms of what we had to deliver. So that was another exposure to that, a different area and a couple of people in my team. And I hadn't managed a HR team before. So that gave me some really good skills in leading people who are in a different vocation. And then I left there. We moved from, we were living in Melbourne and we moved to Echuca. For my husband's work yeah. <laughs> beautiful beautiful loved it up there and i spent some time at bega and then moved into frontera where i spent five years so moving from the city melbourne the cafes the restaurants the walking out to do the shopping at lunchtime to very regional um, and manufacturing of steel cap boots and high-vis vests <laughs> and um, a complete focus on safety that huge huge focus on safety it was a huge change so I had an amazing HR manager there so uh, who taught me the importance of creating the environment for success for people which is now one of Culture Rich's values and may have influenced that <laughs> um, it's so important to me and the way that he did that was by allowing me to make mistakes so it was a very industrial environment and um heavily unionized and i hadn't been exposed to that before even though i've been in hr for quite a few years by then and i had to learn on my feet but never once did i feel that he didn't have my support and as a leader now that's just so such an important lesson that i learned through that experience because as long as you feel like your leader has your support and that you've got the ability to make mistakes but learn from them and move on i think that's really critical
0: yeah. And so was it Frontera the where you did the next big HR leadership role?
1: Yeah. So I was HR, HR consultant there for a little while and then I got an offer to go to Tasmania. Yeah. So we thought we'd move again and regional HR manager down there. So that was supporting two sites and then we did the acquisition for Tamar Valley. And so that was three sites in for a short period of time while I was down there. And from a leadership perspective there, it was less around having a direct team and certainly more about having influence as a leader. And that was tough. I suppose when you've got a team and you can be really clear on what the directions are and what the expectations are, you don't have that relationship when you're on a a leadership team with other leaders who obviously they think differently to you at times, but having to influence and pull everybody together to drive forward because we were making sure that we were focusing on our people. It, it just took a little while for me to figure out how do I use my influence to get a better outcome for a department um, and work with that department manager or work with the regional manager at the time and, and those sorts of things to get that change. Because you don't have control over other people's actions. And sometimes that can be a tough lesson to learn when you think it's going to go a particular way and it goes completely the opposite way. So, And I was on my own down there, so I didn't have any other HR support in Tasmania. My manager was back in Melbourne. I flew a lot during that period of time. I was down there for just over two years. I flew backwards and forwards a lot and there's a lot of phone conferences and things like that where I needed to get support because I'd be faced with an issue in that I just hadn't dealt with before at that level. And Tasmania's a beautiful place, so I still miss it terribly. <laughs> <laughs> but it was that was a real learning ground for me because I had to stand on my own two feet. I had to find out who I was as a leader. I had to figure out how I best influence people. I knew what was important to me as a HR practitioner, but I also needed to understand what was important to the business. And I don't know how to make cheese or butter or milk powder and not that you necessarily have to understand that level of detail but sometimes it's helpful to do that so I'd go in very early in the morning we operate on a lean manufacturing structure so we had meetings every day that rolled up to a site meeting and I would go out into those departments every morning and get a sense of what what was going on and that was really helpful getting closer to the business we operated on a true business partner model at the time. So, yeah, I really I really enjoyed that. So when I left Tasmania, we came back to Victoria and I was in a similar role for another three sites in Western Victoria. We had we had actually not long closed one of the sites just outside of Colac, which, which was intense. So after that had been done, there was a team of about 12 people left, just still running a small area of the plant, and it was going in there in my new role, taking over the HR role in that, in that space, and understanding the impact that the changes that the business had made had had on them. It was almost a little bit of survivor guilt seeing them there. So again, that was another, another opportunity. My empathy is very strong. I have no doubt about that. Sometimes I think it might be too strong. So, <laughs> But it was learning to temper that and to understand where they were coming from and to empathise with their situation, but then also to lead them through what needed to happen in order to finalise the closure of the site and those sorts of things. And then on the other hand, the site down the road, we were in the midst of a $35 million new plant opening project. So very... Different, And that was where I was learning to tailor the way that I interact with people at the level that I was at um, who are going through quite different circumstances of change. So it was interesting. Yeah, it
0: Very sounds it. It sounds it. Mm-hmm. And do you think you brought any specific leadership skills to that role based on your prior leadership experience?
1: I think certainly around the listening and considering and then making sure that we were allowing people to, we were creating the environment for their success as well, no matter what the circumstances were. I know that one of the things that I'm good at is I'm honest when I'm in a situation where I'm not comfortable. If I'm not comfortable saying something at that particular time, I'll go back and say it when I need to, when it needs to be said. And that was probably one of the things that I could bring with me, that confidence that i built. Being in the role in Tasmania, having to rely on myself, um, I had an amazing team by that point that an HR a HR team that I could call and talk through things, and then I would feel much more comfortable going in and having a conversation. So I think I was able to bring that that with me that that confidence and that ability to. Read a leadership team a little bit more effectively than what I would have thought I would have had when I started the role in, in Tasmania. So, um, I had a HR consultant that I worked with too. So, getting the balance right and making sure that we worked really well together was important. We had to, we had nearly about 450 employees to support. And so, that was making sure that we weren't stepping on each other's toes, that we were aligned with what we were saying to the business. He might go to one leadership team meeting one day, I'd go to the other one the next, and then we might swap the following week because I wanted him to be involved. And that's really another thing that I learned there, that my team need to be involved in order to make the best decisions that they can. They need to know what's going on. And they don't just need to hear it from me. They need to hear it from the people who are talking about those things. So and that was one of the things I learned from a colleague of mine back in the not-for-profit sector who said to me, make the best decision you can with the information you have available. If you're not comfortable with that decision, go and get more information. And so I still live by that, um, because that's so important, and it happens so often that you make a decision and then all this information comes to you and you think, I'm gonna change my decision there, or that, that's not what I would have done if I had known that sort of information. So, and so I taught my HR consultant that as well, and we made sure that we were always Sharing what the information that we needed to have in order to make those the best decisions for the business
0: Okay, and uh, why did you decide to leave that role?
1: So I left uh, So I had twins um, Congratulations. <laughs> and I, Thank you, they are nearly three and a half now and at the time so they were one and I felt that was, I'd been with Fonterra for five years and I felt that I needed to, I wanted to move to a smaller organisation, I wanted to make that dream a reality of moving into professional services. I did want to relocate back to Geelong so uh, I had grown up in Geelong, that's where I, we wanted to raise our family and then I had some really specific requirements around joining an organisation in Geelong around what I was. so I really took my time to find the right role. And when I interviewed with Coulter Roach, they had all four of the principals in the room, so it was a very intense interview, Um, because I used to always limit it to two people when we were interviewing, and do two rounds or three rounds if we needed to. There was all four of them in the room. And the way that they explained to me at the time around their focus on people, their focus on the culture... um, and they offered really great flexibility and really great support. That it just ticked all of those boxes for me. So I rang my manager at Fonterra because I was absolutely open and said, "I think I need a role with less, particularly the industrial responsibility." And he was very supportive. Um, he was my referee. He was very helpful. <laughs> and and so I made the decision to move to Portage. So that's been um, yeah, nearly nearly two years
0: okay so yeah eight months into the, the GM role
1: eight weeks eight weeks, Sorry, eight weeks. Yes, not not even yes it's okay. very new
0: okay so can you give a little bit uh, more uh, detail for the listeners about Colt Roach sure. what they do and any sort of metrics that you use and mm. things like that
1: so Colt Roach is a uh, we're the second largest law firm in Geelong we've got about 60 people and we've got offices that, so our Torquay office uh, operates five days a week, as well as our Geelong office where most people are based. And we've got offices, branch offices that open sort of one or two days a week in Barwon Heads, Anglesey and Bannockburn. So my role is a newly created position. I'm responsible for marketing, business development, HR, IT, finance, and then all of the firm administration. So things like deeds and precedents and and reception and then all of the administration and the lawyers sit within each practice area department. The GM role is for me at the moment, still finding my feet and setting that up. I think um, even doing things, putting the meeting structure in place. So my team, we meet fortnightly, individually we each meet weekly. The weekly conversation is probably partly to get me across everything that, that is going on in the business and getting an understanding of where my team is at with those things. And I learn from them for every single meeting that I walk from, which is brilliant. And then also pulling that together for reporting back to the board. So the principals get that report every month. So I sit on the board here as well and the leadership team for the firm. It's a busy role, it's certainly a busy role. And they're probably the biggest challenge for me outside of getting my head across everything. Is stepping a little bit away from the HR role, or trying to get a little bit of distance and and be seen as separate to that a little bit more now. So that's that's a challenge. Okay. Yeah.
0: And, and and what do you think you're learning about yourself as a leader in this sort of these last eight weeks?
1: A lot. I think probably one of the biggest things that I've learnt is that I still need to learn. So when I do sit down with my team, and I've got an amazing team, they're experts in their fields and so they know what they're doing so all I need to do is create that environment for their success so I need to make sure I'm not micromanaging that I know what they're doing and I understand it to a point but I don't have the level of detail that they have and then I can pull it all together to make sure that we're all doing the things that are pulling the firm into the future it's good for me but it's like living outside your comfort zone all the time so until I find that comfort zone and that rhythm again, I think that that will continue to feel like that. And it's slightly uncomfortable, not overwhelmingly uncomfortable, but slightly uncomfortable trying to figure out and retain all of that information and then pull it together to make it into a stronger strategy for the firm. We've worked on our strategy and we there's sort of several iterations that float around and it looks great. I'm, I'm happy with what where it's at. Now it's putting the operational plans into place to achieve that strategy. And that's what we're working through now.
0: Okay. And have you ever taken the time to formally identify your strengths and weaknesses? And if you have, have you done anything around that?
1: Gosh, I've done lots of um, testing and those sorts of things, certainly. Um, I think one of the most interesting things is that I'm right on the borderline of introvert and extrovert, so I've just got to be conscious about where I'm operating, what's required of me in the room, And have really good self-awareness of what i need to do my coaching style i think is one of my strengths as well and certainly the listening and the considering and i will tell my team if i don't know the answer i will come back to you but i don't know all the answers right now so i just i'm up front with them my empathy is also a really a really good strength and i think coupled with all of that i do have good business acumen i'm still learning about the operations of a law firm because that is different certainly different to running a department with words. so. <laughs> but there are you know how to read a pnl is still something that i can understand so that yeah, that's, yeah. i can still track that across they're my strengths i know to play to them i know that i'm not good at some things around for example it doesn't matter that i've been in a hr role in a heavy heavily unionized environment for a long time i know if you put me in a confrontational situation i need time and I, need to, I know that I need time, so I make myself, give my, I give myself time because that's really important for me to make the right decision, to say the right things, and even I'll do that now. So if I come up against a situation where I think I just want to make sure I say the right, the right things, I need to know and have enough self-awareness that I can call it when I need to to go and get that space to make the right call, make the right decision.
0: right, so I wouldn't mind uh, exploring some more sort of uh, just general views Mm -hmm. on leadership. Mm -hmm. So I always like to ask people uh, this one. What's uh, one of the biggest myths you think exists around leadership?
1: One of the biggest myths. So in all of my leadership experience, I always felt that as a leader, you couldn't make a mistake. And for me, that's been one of the biggest myths. I can make a mistake and I don't have to know everything because I can still rely on other people to help me, to give me that information, to advise me, to coach me. I'm not, once you become a manager, it doesn't mean you can't be taught anything anymore. And I think that's what makes me human and that's what I'm proud of too. So I don't don't hide behind my mistakes. I'll say, ooh, I would have done that differently if I had my chance again yeah. and then we talk about it and I think that's really important because I think then I see people doing the same thing and that's what I want people we said I think you learn when you can reflect on your mistakes rather than somebody telling you a big laundry list of all the things that you've done wrong you're more likely to learn from your reflection than than someone telling you so I like to be able to create that for my people and create it for myself
0: and uh, I'm always curious about the words that people use to describe themselves mm-hmm. as a leader. Mm-hmm. So what words would you describe yourself?
1: Empathetic, human and considered. I do focus on our people.
0: And that's what I was going to ask. Do you think those traits, words, allow you to get the most out of your people?
1: I think that they do, certainly. Because we have those conversations, we do sit down and we work through projects or just the the operational tasks that are required to achieve the goals that we've set. Because I'm listening to them, because I might say, I've heard you say this, but it sounds like we're doing this. Can you tell me how that changes? What does that do to support the strategy? Um, What's really important at the moment? Or sometimes it's saying, I know that's really important to you at the moment, and I'm not, let's keep that on the radar. But right now, we need to deal with all of these things. So this is where I need you focus. So being able to make that call and have that conversation, I think.
0: Yeah. And uh, I'm always interested to know if there's any particular methodologies, tools, frameworks, models
1: to use. Yeah, I don't
0: about
1: this. I, I, probably, I probably do and don't really put the name to them when I'm yeah. doing them. There's certainly a big focus on different change models um, making sure that people have buy-in, that they understand the change, that they're on board with the change before we roll things out, and a lot around um, around engagement and identifying what's important to people, being clear about expectations, trying to put measures in place to do those sorts of things. But um, and I've done so much training over the years. There's, there's probably so many out there, but nothing that I would really say stands out.
0: Okay. So really, just a collection of little just bits, a collection. whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. I sort of, I, I, know that I pull from different sessions that I've been to, different people that I've heard speak. I can, I know that I pull different things from there because I can feel my leadership style adjusting to accommodate that change. Um, yeah, it's all different elements. Yeah. It's just a nice mix.
0: <laughs> nice mix. <laughs> and what would you say your biggest leadership challenge is right now?
1: Uh, So my biggest challenge at the moment outside of finding my own feet in the GM role is pulling my team together and then getting us on track to achieve that strategy. So, And the way I'm going about doing that is we do meet weekly, we do review the strategy in our managers' meeting. so it's not just a document that sits on a wall or on a drive that nobody looks at. We go through it every fortnight. We talk about the values at the same time to bring them to life because, again, they're not something that sits on a wall. So, we're talking about what we need to achieve and how we need to achieve it, and in terms of the behaviour we need to be demonstrating in order to bring those sorts of things to life. So, um, I think that's my challenge. We need to, as a law firm, we are facing into disruption. We will face into the reality of that in the next three to five years, and perhaps even earlier. So, identifying and allowing for that innovation in my team as well to then support our lawyers to be able to do that um, and to do what they do best is one of the challenges I've got at the moment so we're not seen as pulling in a different direction
0: okay Can okay. so you mention disruption how, how's yeah. that going to, how do you think that's going to play out within the yeah, legal profession
1: that's a good question you can see that things will automate so a lot of the processes for example conveyancing wills online those things are already happening there's also the artificial intelligence for reading discovery documents that we've all been talking about at a board level around what impact does that have on graduate lawyers. So the universities are producing graduates, but especially the larger law firms, they don't need them to do that level of work anymore because it's, they're implementing artificial intelligence that can do that for them. So what does that mean? When we talk about hiring our graduates, we're talking about really making sure that they've got the right skills project management skills. They've got the right innovation. They've got that approach where they know that things aren't going to stay the way that they are today. Change is as slow today as it ever will be because it will only just continue to get faster. So if you think change is fast now, wait a week. Yeah. <laughs> and just. So that disruption, I think, and we've been around for 80 years. So And our focus as a firm is on our clients, on our people and our clients, when we talk about our top five priorities, those are the top two. So through, it's only through our people that we can deliver what our clients need, and it's around getting an understanding of what they need in five years from now. You know, the ability to put in the information for your will and spit it out at the other end, and those sorts of things. There's even talks about you know how do you get divorces done more quickly than what they happen now, yeah. unfortunately. Um, but yeah, there's sort of all of those. That disruption will be will be significant. Okay. I think that it will be.
0: And how do you measure yourself as a leader? How do you measure your success?
1: Um, I expect feedback from my team okay. and from the board. So I will go in and tell them, "How do you think I handled that? What did I do right? What did I do maybe not so right? And what do you recommend that I change?" So I measure my success on on that feedback and. I expect them to be honest, so hopefully (laughs) they are. And I can also see the delivery of our strategy. So once we start to see that being implemented, and and the knowledge sharing within my team as well, having people talk each other's language, I think uh, that for me is success as well. So Mm -hmm. it's not isolated; it's a united team.
0: Okay. And when you, when you look to bring your teams together and you look to develop your teams, how do you look to build capability within your teams?
1: So, I share my knowledge and I expect them to share theirs and that's evident through that language sharing that I see now. A lot of my team work together on projects so they're not isolated working individually on something. So, I see their capability grow. Because I can see the delivery and I can see them working together and I can hear the way that they're interacting with each other. I can hear the marketing manager's language being repeated in the finance manager and the IT manager and mine. And I can hear the IT manager talking about technology that will be available in five years' time. And I can hear the marketing manager and the finance manager repeating it as well. So I can see that capability in terms of their overall business knowledge developing.
0: That's a really valuable point worth exploring a bit more, yeah. that they're speaking a common language
1: yeah.
0: and yeah. about each other's language. Yeah. Is is that something you deliberately tried to foster? Has it happened organically?
1: In my roles at Fonterra, I noticed that that would happen. When I could sense that people were on the same page, I sensed I could hear the language change. So when I had started in the, even in the HR manager's role, I felt that that would be important for us because... It brings that sense of unity and it brings that sense of people understanding what each other do and it reduces those walls that can be built around. I'm the technical expert. You don't need to know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And there's not much of that at all. So because I've seen it before, I could implement it here. And it felt a little easier to implement it here because I've got a smaller team. So there's five of us and and like I said, it just it just flows. We're sitting in a meeting and I just sit back and think, wow, you know, they know what each other do. There's no you know, I'm not sure what that person's up to today or anything like that. So it's then grown organically. So I think I've set it up and then I've just watched it watched it growing.
0: Do you think they've recognized it? No. No.
1: I don't think we've ever talked about it, to be honest.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um I think they certainly see that they work well together, but we've probably never talked about how well. I don't think we've ever really sat down and talked about what I see from my experience because I've certainly seen teams that are incredibly fractured. And I've said, you know, every team goes through challenges in personality and those sorts of things. But the team that I have now, because they are also very good at what they do, there's a... There's a, certainly a sense of trust in each other that that probably happened quite organically that I wonder if we've never really talked about it, so I wonder if they would be aware of how important that is. Mm. And certainly if I've ever talked about some of the dysfunctional teams that I've worked with, um, they're miles from that, like miles and miles <laughs> from that, so yeah, that would be interesting to ask them.
0: Okay. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I find a lot of leaders don't necessarily put a lot of attention on is networking I mm-hmm. tend to think that's the domain of you know, salespeople and, yes. and, and marketers yep. so what, what are your views on networking do you do it how do you go about it
1: so I do I do in this role I do since I've joined Culture Roach so mm-hmm. I think I said before culture Roach are really community oriented um, but most of our lawyers also have positions on boards and that's where we do our pro bono work as well so we volunteer their time and they're they're committed to the board that they're on. Some of them are on two or three board positions as well so from a networking perspective that was something that I had to learn because it hadn't been required of me heavily in any other position but because we are so community oriented and we're so involved there's all the events that come with that and Because I am borderline introvert extrovert I do kind of have to psych myself up to go to those events I think when I met you I was really putting myself out there to go and make sure I introduce myself to at least one person that I didn't know (laughs) and I think that's all you need to do is start off small introduce yourself to one person that you don't know and, and and go from there so we've got some amazing networkers in this business proud to be able to work with them and I have no shame in saying I just watch them and then i learn from that so I think it can be tough if you are not comfortable in that environment I think if the role in the environment they're in requires that of you then you need a strategy that works for you so for me it's the one person and watching other people and trying to identify what they're doing it's like a little psychology experiment in my head of what how did that work you know how do they how did they remember all of those things about that person to build that connection and how can I do that. One of the best things I've learned in the past too is that if you say to people, I'm terrible with names, you will be. Yeah. If you say to people, I remember names quite well, you tend to. Yeah. So I go in with that mindset of I'm not going to forget someone's name and if I do, I'll ask them what it is. As much as it makes me nervous, um, I'll ask and then I don't feel that level of discomfort talking to someone and thinking oh goodness i can't remember their name in the back of my mind so yeah i think it's it's hard but i think they're my strategies that work okay they work so far
0: work so far (laughs) (laughs) if they're working keep at them keep at them yeah so one of the other things I, I, I'm interested in is people's views on mentoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a bit of a believer that uh, yeah, it's, it's a very valuable development tool and and also a self-reflection tool. Mm. So have you had any experience with mentoring mm. that you care to share?
1: Absolutely. So when I worked at Fonterra, actually when I worked at Bega, the HR manager that I worked with was, when it was a mentor for me in that he demonstrated what I imagined a HR manager should demonstrate. So... I saw all of those things in him and we would have the conversations and he would tell me, I saw you do this today, I think maybe if you try this you'll get a different outcome. And not once did I ever feel like I was under the microscope or, or getting you know, in trouble as such. It was that genuine, honest feedback and I've learned from that and I, I emulate that today. I worked with a site manager at Fonterra who I didn't report to but I worked so I was at his HR business partner and I watched the way that he coached his team. So I would sit in on those conversations and often I wouldn't say very much. I didn't need to, but I would watch the way that he would interact with them, the questions he would ask to draw them out for them to self-reflect on what they've learned. And I do that now. So the team at Culture Roach know that we do PDP every month. And one of the first questions is, Tell me about a challenge or achievement you faced in the last four weeks. And then you've got to talk about what you learnt. And that's where I learnt that from because that self-reflection is so much more important than that laundry list. I've also been a mentor. So I mentor, I've got an amazing assistant who is studying to be a lawyer and I've sometimes think I've almost changed her mind to be a HR practitioner <laughs> maybe not um, but certainly in terms of sitting down and sharing what I know so I've got so much confidence in her ability to do different things so it's not only a coaching opportunity but we'll talk through different situations she's facing into and we'll talk about how she might handle them differently so in my GM role, that is something that I would look to do in the new year, just get through Christmas. And yeah. um, and I think that would be really important for me. Okay. So I think the, I think mentoring is, is fantastic. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So moving into the, the future.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So what does the future hold for you? Are there any goals that you're looking to pursue, achieve?
1: So um, I think the general manager's position was something that, I had wanted to try and be successful at. And that's where my goal is at the moment. I don't see myself moving. I like what I do. I love the people that I work with, the culture, the flexibility that this, that, that Culture Roach can give me in order to balance with my family. That that success in that GM role is what's important to me right now. So that's sort of my three to five year plan. Um, most of my other goals uh, probably more things like writing the articles of the things that I've learned over the years because I would love to write that down and share that, doing things like this, <laughs> <laughs> even though they make me nervous. Um, but doing things like this to be able to share the things that I've learned. So a lot of my goals then for the next sort of three to five years are around doing that, getting more involved in the community. So I'm on a strategy subcommittee at the college that I went to as well, which is a bit odd but fantastic. And mm-hmm. the things that I'm learning there are amazing. So I work closely with the principal on that committee and so I can see how another industry works as well. So continuing that sort of broad industry experience has always been important. The only stint that I would like to go back and do more of would be in education. So the strategy subcommittee position is sort of filling that void for me at the moment. But I do love, I love working with the lawyers. Okay. I do.
0: So you mentioned just then about writing stuff down. Does that mean that there's a potential book in the works for you, Gosh. that the listeners can look forward to? <laughs>
1: um, I'd love to say yes, If, as soon as my children are old enough to give yeah. me some time to do those sorts of things. I think that, yes, I would like to.
0: Fantastic. Uh, one of the things I'm also interested in is how you continue your development mm. as a leader. So how do you make sure that you're always learning, always developing, always building capability?
1: Mm. So I'm a huge fan of TED Talks yeah. <laughs> and all sorts of things. I find that webinars are easy for me to watch at the moment, but if there's any events going on, particularly that are local, that don't require a huge volume of travel for me, then I'm there. Like I said before, my team is amazing, so I can sit down with any one of them and, and learn from them and we talk about their experience and their even before Culture Roach and what they've learned and what they've brought here. So that is always, that's always important. I think in the new year, I'd like to look at what other things I could do from a GM perspective, because a lot of my development's been so HR-focused.
0: And uh, you mentioned disruption before. Mm. Are there any other challenges you think the industry's going to face?
1: Mm. There's, I think, the term war on talent's been used for a number of years now, hasn't okay. it? There's the, the, the war for talent. I've been working closely with Deakin, the the Graduate Recruitment Office have been incredible, to educate law students. Not only do they need to know the theory and then the practical application of being a lawyer, they need to know how to present in an interview in order to get a clerkship, to get the experience, then get a graduate position. So being able to contribute in that way, I think that, the disruption in terms of recruitment, being able to do online videos, we're looking to do that next year in partnership with Deacons. So getting on board with some of those things that firm our size may not be able to – I wouldn't invest in the outlay of purchasing that sort of software right now, but partnering with someone who can do it, brilliant. Okay. That would be brilliant. So I see a lot of the disruption coming from – those innovative ideas about how to get the information and how to get even better information than what we've had access to before. So, yeah, that'd be, that'd be interesting. But, yeah, certainly from a graduate perspective, educating people. There's a disruption from a law perspective that we talked about earlier, but um, from a people perspective, it's bringing the right people in and then giving them the right skills to be successful 10, 15, 20 years from now, not two years from now. It's too short term.
0: Yeah. Okay. And are there any leaders that you either look up to or that inspire you? And if so, why?
1: I have thought about this a lot. I don't look at very public leaders as such. I tend to, I've noticed now on reflection, that I look more closely at the people that I work with. So certainly one of the HR consultants that I worked with at Villa Maria, whose advice was around to make the best decision you can with information you have available. I've never forgotten that the site manager I worked with and their coaching style, the HR manager I worked with and the ability, you know, the, the environment for success and being able to make mistakes and the ability to learn from them. They're all things that I've learnt that have stayed me, stayed with me more than anything else. It feels more real.
0: Okay. And if people want to know more about you and about culture, where, where where should they go?
1: So my LinkedIn profile is hopefully all up to date. <laughs> <So laughs> okay, The yeah. Culture Roach website as well, which is www.crl.com.au.
0: Um, and there's
1: some fantastic information on there about our people, about what we do, about how we partner with our clients and what services we can deliver to support them in their personal business lives as well. Most of my information is updated on, on LinkedIn.
0: And uh, any last words on leadership?
1: Probably oh, my, oh, my only last word that I've been thinking about is we all know that change is the one constant and I think the most important role that we have as leaders is guiding and supporting, maybe sometimes pushing people through when they need that help through that and creating the environment for their success to get through that, that change.
0: Well, uh, Lynne, thanks so much for being part of the podcast. All the best.
1: Thank you, Julie.
0: Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synerginegroup.com.au. See you next time.